Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen here. The audio you're about to hear is from KLWN Rock Chalk Sports Talk, an interview I did uh, on Thursday with Nick Schwartz, breaking down some of the latest uh, news related to coronavirus and also talking a little bit about the Kansas basketball team. Here it is. All right, it's 4 o'clock. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. I am Nick Schwartz. It was a little over a week ago when Scott Chasen posted the now infamous photograph to his Twitter page, and I don't know if it's still up. I would totally understand if because of the controversy that followed if he chose to delete it, but the picture of his mother's fridge with, I believe, seven or eight bottles of almond milk as a lactose intolerant citizen of the United States, I immediately became panicked and rushed to my local grocery store where I found that most of the almond milk had been uh, bought and taken from the shelves already. Scott Chasen joins us now on the show. Scott, uh, can you just kind of take us back through that moment when you opened the refrigerator door and saw the stockpile of almond milk that your mother had procured? Yeah, you know, uh, people have seen the things like uh, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, the essentials. What's funny is, yeah, there are probably seven or eight, uh, or maybe... Maybe one or two less than that, actually, in my mom's fridge. The fact of the matter is that's about one off her normal uh, for almond <laughs> milk because, like, I, I don't understand this. And, and it's a generation I'm learning about now that I'm rejoining the world and not having sports. I guess, like, people don't do milk anymore, and they've discovered that it's really, really bad for you, which what's funny is I'm actually lactose intolerant, so I was never part of this universe. Uh, but now I'm learning that, like, there there's a war being waged against milk. So anyway, yep. uh, yeah, when I opened the door, I was like, wow, I have to tweet this because it'll be funny. Uh, and then, you know, I hopefully people understand there's a difference between uh, having a lot of milk in your fridge and buying $15,000 worth of hand sanitizer and selling it on Amazon. Yeah, there is. But again, like, I need milk to drink my coffee <laughs> in the morning. I need some sort of milk substitute. And without almond milk, like what, I mean, if I drink milk, man... I mean, my stomach is, is going to turn into a cement mixer. Yeah. I can't have that. Yeah. Well, I have good news for you, which is that I've hit uh, three grocery stores in the last 24 hours, and all of them had lots of milk. So uh, I actually. Almond milk. Almond clear. milk. You need to be specific. Honestly, the oh, word, I don't... <laughs> when you just say milk, it kind of triggers me, and it, it makes me <laughs> nauseous just hearing the word. Yeah. I mean, I don't drink almond milk myself. So I can't help you there, but uh, there are plenty of other ways to do that. Have you tried oat milk? Oat milk is oh pretty my, good. Oh my, what is your guy's deal? Derek just asked me about oat milk 20 minutes ago. I don't want oat milk, okay? I want <laughs> almond milk. What are, you, who are you, what are you guys, my doctors now? My nutritionist? Yeah, well, actually, uh, the oat milk industry has offered Derek and myself a large sum of money Apparently. collectively Apparently. to promote it constantly. Yeah, well, you guys are certainly, they're getting their money's worth right now. You guys are doing a, a crack job. We've got Scott Chasen on with us here. Kind of weird, man. Today we would be talking about, uh, well, we wouldn't be talking about anything because we'd be off the air because we usually cover Westwood 1, first games of the tournament. It's been pretty weird uh, seven days, and I know we talked to you last Thursday. I guess at the time the season hadn't been canceled at that point, right? 
And it's so weird to me. What What's the craziest part is just like going back to what even I was thinking. And I feel like I was maybe a little bit more worried about this than than a lot of people were. Not I'm not giving myself a pat on the back. That's mostly because I'm a hypochondriac. But I think that what is what is so fascinating is kind of looking back to the conversations we were having a week ago and what we thought and what we thought was a possibility with sports and just seeing how far removed we are from that now just seven days later. Yeah, you know, when we spoke a week ago, I think it had actually just been called off, like, very, very, like, right before the interview. And you, I, I think you texted me and you were like, hey, are you still coming on, basically? But, look, it, it's, it's crazy to think about. And I saw a lot of people tweeting things like, you know, I can't believe it was only a week ago. It feels like a year ago. And for me, it, it kind of feels like the opposite. Like, I'm stunned I made it through a week of what should be March Madness, because it feels like all I've been doing is thinking about it, and that time is dragging and dragging, but I actually think it's kind of promising week, and hopefully, I you know, for a lot of us. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's so insane to me that, like, the sports world, we all saw it turning off, like, one thing at a time, and I think everyone had a tipping point. For me, it was Rudy Gobert, but I, I think everyone had their own personal tipping point where you realized, okay, everything's about to get shut down. I think Rudy Gobert was probably the most common tipping point probably for most people uh, who follow, like, literally any sport. Because at that point, it, it you start thinking in your head, hey, this, this may not be happening. But just as everything has kind of ground to a halt and, you know, you flip on, you know, ESPN, they're talking about coronavirus. You flip on CNN, they're flipping, you know, they're talking about coronavirus. ABC, Fox, you just, every station you put on, it's coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. It's kind of insane. And, and it was one of those, like, surreal moments, just like literally going to Target today and, like, taking a second and looking around and seeing everybody and, you know, people not wanting to touch anything and no one wanting to walk by anyone and no one, you know, if you cough in public, everyone stares at you. I got back from a run, I coughed a couple times, and there were people in the area, oh. and they all just, like, glared at me, <laughs> and it was like, no, I just ran, like, five miles, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm okay, or at least I, I don't feel any symptoms at the moment, And but, but even then, you know, like, someone like me, who hasn't really done anything except go and get groceries a couple times, even, you know, I'm checking my temperature every day or so, you know, just to make sure that I'm not, you know, getting a fever or something like that, so... It's just a totally different world, a totally different sports world. And, like, God bless the NFL, like, free agency and stuff for giving us things to talk about because, man, it's just a different world than we lived in, you know, a week ago. Yeah, without the NFL free agency, I mean, this because that's the only thing going on right now in the sports world. Like, Bovada's taking bets on, you can bet on the over-under, high temperatures for different cities around the country. That's the depths to which we've fallen to with the lack of sports. And now comes the what's next. How is this going to impact these teams, these seasons, these individual players? I don't, I don't think anything's been announced officially yet, but it was, I believe, John Rothstein who first reported yesterday mm-hmm. that it doesn't sound like the NCAA is going to be granting that extra year of eligibility to seniors, which... I think we all want to see it. There's nobody who's saying, no, they don't deserve to have it. Almost universally, people have been saying that would be great to give these guys a chance to end their careers the way that they were promised, which is just at least, at the very least, having a shot at a national championship or having a shot to compete in the NCAA tournament. Doesn't sound like that's going to happen, which is, I'm I'm torn because I'm disappointed that it's not going to happen, and I know people are going to use this as an opportunity to kind of pile on the NCAA, 
which is an easy thing to do, and I certainly enjoy it. But in this case, I think I kind of understand why it's not happening. It seems like it would have just been uh, incredibly complicated. And that's not an excuse, but in this case, there were so many logistical hoops that you'd have to, to jump through. I just never really... I never really was that serious about it actually coming to fruition. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And you start to think about, like, two teams lost in the Big 12 tournament, for instance, and their seasons, for all intents and purposes, were probably over. I, I don't quite remember which teams they are because, again, it's been a week ago. But certainly, like, TCU, TCU season was done. Uh, or whoever, whoever, uh, Iowa State lost to Oklahoma State. That was the other team. Their season was done. So... Do you start drawing a line? Do you give those? Do you give every? First of all, do you give everyone eligibility? Do you only give the teams whose seasons were still alive? Well, what about the teams whose conference tournaments hadn't started and they were the eight seed and they had no chance of really extending their season? But you know, they, I guess like feasibly it could have happened. You know, there were just so many question marks like that. Uh, and then you look at basically destroying the record book because you know, again, you're basically giving an extra year of playing. To guys like there was the Penn State player who is seven points away from setting a school's career record in scoring. Well, you give that guy another 30 games and he's going to absolutely obliterate it, which, you know, you don't do things for the record books and whatever, but it's just kind of one of those unintended consequences. And then you start drawing lines and the NCAA becomes the bad guy in a much worse way, in my opinion, because it starts, it becomes this conversation of, oh, why this and not this and why that and not that. And if this thing had happened maybe two, three weeks earlier, I could have seen it. But you had, like I said, you had some teams who were already done with their conference tournaments. You had some teams whose seasons were already over. It's just so hard to go back and, and pick and choose and, and kind of, you know, assign these players. And it's the same thing about the tournament. You know, the more and more I've thought about, well, could they have played it? Could they have postponed it a month? And, you know, you just think about it and, the best thing for everyone was just to shut everything down. You know, no practices. The Big 12 has said that no one can practice in or out of season, no organized team activity uh, until, I believe, March 29. Uh, but, you know, even beyond that, you would have no practice, no nothing. You're going to have guys declaring for the draft. You know, you can expect Devon Dotson, Yudoka Azubuki, and Isaiah Moss, obviously, to all be gone. And, like, you, you just wouldn't have the same teams together. You would have guys who have already gotten an agent, guys who have already moved on and again you could create all sorts of waivers and put together some you know buildings or arenas last minute to play in and and do all these things and it'd be great i would love nothing more for there to be a tournament somehow that worked and was safe for everyone the same way i I love the idea of these guys getting that extra year but just like you said nick it's it gets to the point where it's like, is it even possible just to figure all of this out? And is it worth the effort that you'd be basically putting into it for, in some cases, for guys' careers that had one game left or might have had two games left, uh, two games left? You know, 32 teams lose on the first day uh, of the 64, the round of 64, basically, or, or the first two days. 32 teams survive one game. So I think that tells you that, you know, maybe maybe even like you said, it's easy to pile on the NCAA, but you don't really have to do that here. How many coaches, realistically, do you think would have been for that in terms of going to the point? Because I know coaches spoke out and had mentioned it, that they wanted it. That was right after the fact, and I don't know if those coaches would change their tone at all after the dust settles a little bit. But realistically, how many coaches do you think would actually want to have 
an extra year of seniors, knowing about some of the things you just talked about with recruiting and guys coming in, I would imagine there would also be a number of coaches that would say, you know, yeah, it'd be nice, but it's going to create a lot of headaches for me too. Yeah, I mean, it creates a lot of problems. You recruit freshmen with a lot of times with the idea that, hey, you're going to have a chance to play, and it's not dishonest if you've already signed them uh, in the early period perhaps, and now all of your seniors are coming back, and let's say you had five of them, and they were all getting minutes, and now this freshman who thought, you know, I'm going to have a great chance to play at this school won't have that chance. So do you release, do you release that guy, you know, from a, a letter of intent that was signed early? And, and the same thing, think about, like, it wasn't just seniors who didn't have the chance to play in the tournament this year. It was freshmen and sophomores and juniors, and, you know, it, it would be pretty unfair for only the seniors to get that extra year of eligibility. I understand there are some who may have never played in the tournament, who may have had the chance to play in the tournament, but even so, you start getting into all these scenarios where, well, what about the freshman who uh, he didn't play that, you know, he played a sizable role, and that was his only shot to make it because the next three years the team, you know, the outlook isn't great and, and what have you. So I think coaches, I think if coaches were honest with you, there would be a lot of coaches who would say, you know what, I'm okay not doing this. Now, I think there'd be a good amount of coaches who would say, let's bring everyone back. And a lot of those coaches would be coaches who coach seniors uh, or who had a lot of good seniors this year who might not be uh, pros, you know, at the next level. But uh, you also create this whole other issue for Ivy League schools, which already, I believe, you cannot play in the Ivy League after you've graduated. So that creates situations with, like, Ivy League grad transfers. You also can't redshirt in the Ivy League. So uh, it, it just creates this new scenario where, okay, the Ivy League is going to lose all their guys, but everyone else gets to keep theirs and, and stuff like that. So I think coaches, it's very easy to be pro-player and very easy to come out publicly and say, oh, yeah, we want everyone to get an extra year. But, again, you, you start looking at the money, giving everyone extra scholarships, especially in a year where there's been no NCAA tournament. And it just it gets really hard to make it all work out. We've got Scott Chasen of Fog.net and 24-7 Sports on with us here for just a couple more minutes. And now you talk about players who have decisions to make. Devon Dotson, Yudoka Azubuki, both gone in all likelihood. I mean, we know Doke's gone. Devon, it, I mean, I, what, 99% chance that he's going, if not yeah. 100? Yeah. What, there may not be any sort of pre-draft process. I said earlier in the week that I thought both of those guys are the types of players who would benefit from being able to compete against you know, other pro prospects because their biggest strengths are ones that are from physicality, right? Or, or from their, their physical attributes. With Devon, his speed and explosiveness. With Doak, it's his size and his strength. You don't have a chance to compete against those guys in all likelihood or to even go and, and work out in front of teams. How do you think that will ultimately impact their draft stock? You know, that's a great question. I think a guy like Devon, who can score basically in any system because he's just giving the ball and let him go end-to-end, I think that probably hurts a little bit. I think a guy like Doak probably showed every single thing he needed to show in the last year, uh, especially, you know, like a high-profile game against Baylor on national television that he absolutely dominated, going out the way he did on senior day. And, I mean, you'll have no shortage of uh, guys willing to say, hey, that was the most dominant player in a conference in a league. He's an All-American. Uh, I think that actually, I'm not going to say it helps him uh, because I don't think he has anything to hide. I, I think he is a, I think he's become a legitimate first-round NBA draft prospect. Uh, but I think probably for your Devon Dotsons of the world, it's a little bit tougher. Uh, you know, hard to see that pass, that pass was Isaiah Moss. And then 
You know, what I, what I was thinking, though, too, and, and not just with NBA draft positions, but, I mean, you're robbing guys the chance to declare, experience the combine, learn what they need to improve on, and then come back. And, and that's really been a transformative process for a number of guys. Yudoka uh, Azubuki being kind of the prime example of that. And I'll have a story coming uh, out this next week on this. But, I mean, Yudoka Azubuki was a guy who was, absolutely exposed at the end of his sophomore year. Now he was injured. But it was shown in that Villanova game, hey, this guy can't match up against, you know, a, a guy in space and, and his shortcomings in other areas, like, uh, you know, his range being limited to about three feet and free throw shooting and whatnot. Like, that's going to keep you from getting drafted. He he hears all these voices telling him the same thing. Here's what you need to get better at. And then he listens, and he does. And then he improves, and now he's, you know, like we just talked about, maybe a first-round pick, probably a second-round pick. So uh, I think that's a big deal for a lot of guys. And then the other part of it is the transfer thing. Like, we still don't know the state of transfers and how that's all going to work in the next year, but it wouldn't shock me if this college basketball offseason were just absolutely insane, uh, in large part because uh, when you can't bring guys in and show them things and, and you know, just like have guys work out. There's a lot more variance. You don't know what's going on in the minds of the people who have to make these decisions, whether it's college coaches, uh, NBA coaches, NBA front office, or uh, really anything else. He is Scott Chasen. Check out all of his work, fog.net, 247sports.com. Thanks for the time, sir. Thanks for having me. All righty. That's Scott Chasen with Derek Johnson. I am Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk.